1: Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, a show where we bring you actionable tips and strategies on how to better connect socially, boost your emotional intelligence, and navigate social behavior. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. Happy Labor Day for everyone who's celebrating. I certainly know we're gonna hit the pool and have some barbecue and have a few people over. Today is a bonus episode. We decided to play an interesting part of our interview with Eric Weinstein that wasn't included in episode 773 that aired last month.
2: Well, thing is, we had such a great time talking to him, and it just kept going, and we figured
1: why wouldn't we share this with you? Eric Weinstein came on, and one of the things he said was that he would never had a productive networking event.
2: Which is funny, because as many
1: of you know, this is part of what we do. We offer tips and strategies that can help make networking productive, and we even cover these in our in-person boot camps here in Los Angeles.
2: But then Eric transitioned into a beautiful argument about the importance of finding your own voice. And that's what we wanted to play for you today. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful Labor Day weekend.
0: I wanted to know I have never had a productive networking event, I network pretty well. I've never gone to a networking event where I got much of anything out of it. So what, what would you label
1: as a productive result at a networking event?
0: I don't even know. I mean, in general, I end up with people's cards. They end yeah. up with my card. Nothing much happens. Some vendors usually try to contact me in a very direct way. I, I've in general found this to be useless. So it may be that I'm not the right person to be talking to about these things because in general, this isn't any way I, I have no insight as to how to get a networking event to work for you. Well, there's, I think the old ideas
2: was to go in and run the room and be seen and collect all the cards. And and now you have all these contacts when we're trying to get people to settle in on. If you go out and you make one or two good connections that evening of some some partners that you could do some work with, or even a new friend who has similar interests, you guys can develop together. That is more successful than the guy who run the room, collected all the cards, and didn't there's, make a connection
1: with it. I mean, I would argue there's even a small, it may seem imperceptible to you, but there's a small amount of value to meeting you in person, seeing you in a room full of people in right. person versus just listening to you on audio. And, you know, we've been doing this for 12 years, and the reaction that we get, although our audience is not nearly as big, when they meet in person, it personalizes the experience of getting to know you they feel closer to you and ultimately maybe not immediately in your inbox the next day it's probably led to more opportunities more people paying attention to you more people viewing you in higher regard and over time we're saying these are compounding effects mm-hmm. right right so it may be small and imperceptible based on that one networking event but if you stuck with it you would probably see Let's Better get, invites. You I don't be know. Stuck on this podcast with us. You might be on some <laughs> bigger podcast <laughs> over time, right? So that's the compounding effect that that's we're, so interesting. we're preaching well, but I before we get a little too far off course, I want to ask you, sure. as someone who's very similar to a lot of our audience, in in feeling that you overanalyze yeah. and there's opportunity cost. Have you developed any guardrails, yeah, to allow you to make a decision in a more timely manner? to lower the opportunity cost? No. Yeah, well, let's unpack that. How have you struggled with that if you haven't reached that conclusion? What have you tried? What could be helpful to our audience who's feeling indecisive, who's feeling really analytical, and now is realizing that there's opportunity costs to this?
0: I mean, I think the way I would say it is I don't have a lot of advice for people who wish to remain generic. If you want to remain, like, I'm a rationalist or I'm a Republican or I'm, I'm a motorsports enthusiast and that's my thing, great. I just don't know what to tell you. What I do know is, is that between almost every pair of ears, there are crazy thoughts that you're trying to suppress, right? And you don't want to know, anyone to know that you're thinking these thoughts. Occasionally, they may slip out of your mouth and you might hear gasps. <gasps> Surely you don't think that. Okay. (laughs) If you can figure out one or two of those things that you actually believe and you can commit to them and you can get through that initial negativity, you will find that the most interesting people will be saying, you know, I didn't catch your name. I, I asked somebody else. I hope you don't mind that I'm using this email address, but I'm holding a private gathering and we're discussing this issue. So the thing that you fear getting out may be your most valuable asset. It may be the thing that distinguishes you. And one of the things that I'm very angry at the LGBTQ community for is monopolizing the concept of a closet. Closets have nothing to do with sexual orientation. A closet is simply any structure that is keeping you from clearing your throat and saying what you believe to be outside, outré, unfavorable, unpopular opinion. And when you actually find one of those things, that you have the courage to scream, and you come out of the closet and there's no going back, right? There's no return ticket. It's a one-way ticket. You will find out whether you are actually crazy and you should have stayed in the closet, (laughs) or whether there's a world that says, thank God somebody finally said it. And what I would say is, if your audience is who I, I think it, it largely might, may be, you've got gold that you are sitting on and trying to keep the world from hearing about. And what I would admonish you to do is to think about... you. All of you can build a website. Build a website and start to put cookie crumbs out towards that thing that you actually are. And if I can say it just the most disturbing way possible... Most people will die never having heard their own voice. And I don't think people realize how profound a, a, a situation that is.
1: And I, I would go a step further, reason with yourself. So not only the suppression of the thought, but whether it's hitting record on the podcast or putting it out on YouTube or writing the blog, that level of commitment entails reasoning mm-hmm. and developing out that thought further. And yes, there may be a a nugget of gold, but you got to clear off all the dirt around it by actually vocalizing it, whether it's in audio form or written form or video form. I think the sad part is a lot of us have these thoughts bouncing around that we actually don't even try to reason with internally, let alone share with the world. And this is getting comfortable and finding your
2: voice, getting comfortable with that voice, and then being able to express it to other people. This is hoisting your flag so that others are able to see it and able to salute it if they, if they wish. And that takes a certain amount of comfortability with themselves. And that's why I love self-development because self-development lay, there's so many different ideas, how you can go about getting more comfortable with yourself to allow yourself to shine for other,
0: to express yourself to other people. Well, okay. But this is super dangerous advice we're talking about here. You can use reason. You can try to figure out the packaging. But if I look at somebody like James Damore and his memo at Google, Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy killed his life as a caterpillar working for Google. That stage of his life was over. Now, I don't think he necessarily maximized his butterfly potential on the other side of it, but the world was watching this thing. Certainly was. And many people, myself included, said, that's a very weird thing to get fired for. You asked, you Google asked for feedback. Uh, You had a seminar that was intended to help people develop as managers Somebody gave you feedback coming from a big five psychological inventory Mm -hmm. perspective, uh, quoting a professor from the University of Toronto, (laughs) and you got fired and you got humiliated, but you also got celebrated. And so this is one of these very weird things about what holds us back is you are going to be offensive to large numbers of people. That's the market of (laughs) ideas,
1: right? So If you you don't have any
0: ideas... Maybe you can get by without it. But what? where I learned about this, I didn't mean to cut you out, come yeah. back to it. I did this podcast uh, with from a live event with Ben Shapiro and Sam Harris at the Masonic mm-hmm. in San Francisco. And it was the perfect Rorschach test. I needed to have done this to have learned this stupid fact. For everything we were praised for, we were vilified <laughs> as well in the comments. And that was the thing. It was like, Oh, Ben is a joy to listen to. Finally, somebody arguing for the religious perspective in a rational way. Mm -hmm. What is Ben Shapiro doing on this stage? This guy is a complete (laughs) hack trying to argue from the religious perspective, from a rational perspective. Okay. Because of that, I learned a very stupid truth, which is some people love you for the exact thing that other people will hate you for. As a result, Mm -hmm. you have to make a decision. Are you not willing to be hated for anything from a reasonable perspective, right? Because if you say anything, there is a reason to hate whatever it is that you, that you said. Maybe, maybe you've made some comment about Taco Bell and somebody's, you know, aunt was killed in a Taco Bell and they <laughs> think that you're being insensitive. We don't need any Taco Bell emails, please. <laughs> We've had enough. That's Taco Bell. <laughs> so in that, in that setting, what I came to understand is, oh, there's no way of keeping these people happy. It's just, it's, no, it, it is just—it's—it literally right. provably impossible. Ergo, you have to decide what your butterfly stage is meant to be after you kill your caterpillar. So your caterpillar stage is usually trying to get along with the world, mm-hmm. trying to get along with yes. your employer. If you get fired, try to get fired for the right thing. Try to get fired for saying something brave or noble. You know, my brother effectively got fired for uh, opposing the idea that one group should tell another group that they should get Mm -hmm. off campus for a day symbolically, you know, Mm -hmm. and he was absolutely right. And he was dealing with racists and bigots who happened uh, weirdly to be black and brown bigots as opposed to white bigots. And most of us are mostly used to dealing with white bigotry. Okay, well, that was, that was a little unusual. It wasn't that unusual. And... Is he happier and is he better off after having this situation blow up on him? I would say yeah, because closets are small and they're uncomfortable and you can't actually live in them. So find your closet and break out of it. Skip the networking events, build a website, say something of interest, watch the world beat a path to your door. Be prepared that you're gonna have to go without income for a few months because you're gonna piss somebody off and it might be your employer. So make sure that you've got, you know, a certain amount of supplies. And when you clear your throat, don't put too many wiggle words in it because, quite honestly, courage and bravery in the service of something noble are attractive. And it is a wide open well, opportunity set out there because everybody is scared to talk.
2: And and people were looking for that. I mean, hence the 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 crowd that the IDW had collected when everyone spoke their truth and stood for what they believed in. And, and everyone's like, I want more of that in my life. And so, of course, let's follow that crowd around because they are, they are speaking that truth. To, and it's their truth. And whether or not I'm going to believe what they have to say on all points remains to be seen, but I want more of that. I want to have this discussion. I think we're all trying to get comfortable with that at this point.
0: Well, I think we are. I, I also want to focus... I mean, I guess I'm a little bit worried. We haven't explicitly talked about gender in this conversation, but there is a feeling that your audience is mostly male, mostly no. tech. No, no, actually okay. the most vocal section of our audience is, <laughs>
1: is women. We so let's talk done. about what
0: they're, what they're going through. And is, is it different in your demographics?
1: So, and we have run women's programs. We have one uh, all coming women's program coming up in October and their perspective is really twofold. Number one, most of the men who come to us in terms of socialization, there's a certain level of requirement that they approach people and strike up conversations, right? That's the social norm, the construct that men do the approaching, whether it's in a business networking setting Mm -hmm. or in a social setting. Women are used based on the social constructs culturally here to being approached and they feel that if they actually approach someone it signals a level of intent that as men we're not signaling as strong. So because of that there's reticence on their part to approach people. They don't want if hey even if they're a fanboy of yours to, or a fan girl of yours to walk up to you and strike up a conversation thinking, "Oh, well maybe he's going to see me as hitting on him." The men don't really have that concern in their mind. So that was the first thing sort of eye-opening for us of like, wow, okay, we do approach exercises in class and then go out and talk to people. And we didn't realize that there was going to be that sort of barrier in their mind. Now, having come out the other side of the program, they realized that, wow, breaking that barrier is really powerful. And I've been limiting myself and opportunities right. by not approaching people that I want to talk to. Right. Right. So it's been helpful for them. The second thing is the way they're perceived in their career and the way speaking up in particular, is perceived. And you could argue that we saw this in the last election with the way that Trump's language was perceived by the masses as being strong, powerful, and, and a leader. And Hillary, using similar terminology, was seen as, you know, cold, bitchy, whatever you want to call that the labels were put on her. And you take a step back and you're like, but they're essentially trying to say the same things, but they're being perceived in a completely different way. So their concern was how can I speak up and speak my voice, but get the same benefits that men seem to be receiving in the workplace. And for me and Johnny, we are pretty honest about it. We're like, Hey, let's have a conversation about this. But if we look at where we are in history and what you're talking about, this specific environment and scenario, this is a new world for us. Realistically in, in humans history, you know, Women in the workplace taking on leadership roles, whether so you like new. it or not, this is new. So we're trying to learn it too. Hey, let's learn together. Let's figure out a way to communicate more effectively. We don't necessarily have the, the correct scientific answer to how to do that, but that was a, a deeper underlying concern for the women that a lot yeah. of men don't come to us with.
2: For them to even have that conversation in a safe environment where they wouldn't f- feel um, judge for attack, wanting wanting yeah. to have that conversation was extremely powerful and extremely productive and, and good for them so i mean we're trying to continue to have that conversation because it needs to be had in, a, in an environment because obviously if you open your mouth about something that you feel strongly about and you're going to be judged harshly over it. And that's the first time that you spoke up. That might be a while before you go ahead and do that again. So so, as we all know, we have to come out of the closet on our own terms and and have these conversations and show that there's nothing wrong with having these conversations. In fact, it allows everyone in the room to feel more comfortable if we are having these conversations.
1: Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey.
2: We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years, going through endless resumes. Well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink?
1: Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Well, not everyone. I think about this a lot in terms of female colleagues, my wife, my daughter. Mm -hmm. And I think that the pressures that women are under are very often somewhat invisible to us as men. Absolutely. And we completely agree with you. And um a colleague approached me recently who just moved into a management position, and she said, I'm trying to figure out how to avoid some of the gendered dynamics with telling men what to do. Mm-hmm. And do you have any suggestions? And I, I actually put a lot of thought into it. And I came up with a rubric, which is I said, you know, do you feel that you were promoted because you are in general more on top of your game technically at this point? She said, yes. And I said, okay, why not bet the men in your group when you think that you're right and they think that they're right a beer or or a round of drinks? And that way, if they win, you are still in a powerful position because you are the provider Of the round of drinks which is a traditionally (laughs) commanding position so that you show that you can acknowledge because i think one of the fears that a lot of men have is that a lot of women bring things immediately into the gendered setting in other words we're having a disagreement and if i was having it with a with a, a fellow man i would say you know let's let's settle this but if the woman says wow you really just don't get it because i'm female you're just thinking like okay, I've got no tools. I do not know how to come back from that. It it could be the exact same point, but we don't want to get into that gendered issue. So in this setting, I think that my friend was very appreciative that there was a way of making sure that she could show that she was okay with being corrected if she was wrong, which was very important. She could be right where there would be no consequence if the, if she was right, but if she was wrong, she would pick up the round of drinks. It spoke to understanding a male idiom, but without having to become male herself in mm. in her in her manner. We don't give women good advice. I just I'm absolutely convinced mm. of they're it. searching for it. I mean, they're yeah. listening to the show, they're looking for that answer. You know, the
1: caveat that I would raise and tweak the rubric would be lunch instead of drinks. Because for, again, a lot of what we're hearing from our women's audience is, I I just don't want to go out for drinks with the guys after work. Like, I want to be taken seriously at work. I want to be able to
0: command respect and do my job really well. Well, This this was a person overseeing a group of exclusively, my understanding was exclusively men. Right. And so having to establish... For our audience, just the idea of... Hey, lunch is an
1: opportunity. You pick up their lunch. Hey, you you buy my salad if I'm right, and I buy you a salad. Well, let's say probably steak sandwich, whatever you want to call it. Again, allows that opportunity, as you said, without forcing necessarily in the women that we've talked to is, you know, when we start bringing alcohol into this, mm-hmm. it creates a whole other dynamic that we haven't even Well, that's why about. it would have to <laughs> be in a
0: group that it wouldn't be one-on-one. Right? But, right, right. but
1: right. it's still, there's an unease for women and women are our audience of, you know, being the, the sole woman now with the group of guys having drinks and, and science shows that we behave differently
0: in those group settings. Yeah. But partially the, the issue around certain kinds of group activities has to do with barriers and intimacy. And so the issue of male female intimacy in the workplace is an unsolved Problem just as with, with, you know, you you could have similar issues with same sex, you know, with, with gay supervisors. So there's no way around this. I think it has to be said that in part, the workplace is an unsolved work in progress. Yeah, Um, we completely um, agree. If you take alcohol out, you get one set of problems. If you have alcohol in, you have another set of problems. If you, you know, allow certain kinds of jokes, you have one set of problems. If you Mm -hmm. disallow them, you have others. So I think it's very important to recognize that at this point, like I don't know that I agree with your advice. I I know that it does solve certain problems, but I know that it creates others. If you ask me, you know, I'll buy your salad, doesn't have the same feeling as I'll buy the first round because that has a very specific significance in male culture. Right. We are all figuring this out, and I think this was one of Jordan Peterson's Mm -hmm. points that, a lot of this stuff remains to be seen because we haven't figured out how this can all work. It's not clear whether it all has a solution. Well, I, I had shared a podcast with Johnny
1: a while back that I found fascinating, and it, it really looked at the the first women in the workplace to, to move into management. And it was a, a decade-long study looking at the behaviors of the the first women to really join the, the group setting with men. And they noted that there was a behavior change that took place, and the women who stayed, stuck it through, essentially became one of the guys and would throw just negativity towards the other women, look to cut all the other women standing down in the group. And then when they removed them and, and asked them, you know, how are you getting along with your female colleagues? Oh, they said everything they that you would expect. But that behavior change was noticed, and it it happened in sales context, it happened in a consulting context. And I think to that point, Where women are struggling when they come to us and ask for help is they want to be true to themselves, but they feel like they have to become someone else in these settings to to be around the round of drinks or to be collegial with their colleagues that does not feel true to themselves. And they see other people who they feel are true to themselves achieving success and
0: they're unable to. And that's really where the frustration lies for them. And I see something... I see that and then I see a different thing which is that a lot of the females that I, I deal with who are outliers in their field is just you know some power law and they're absolutely brilliant very often are very frustrated with female group dynamics more than male group dynamics oh yeah and yeah. one of the things you know I've often run a seminar, th- that is, I've 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 led questions. Other people also have this role in, in, my, in my firm. When I lead the questions and I'm interviewing somebody from outside, I'm always looking for female hands because I want to make sure that I'm not making a mistake of going in just you're in a default guy, guy idiom. And we were having lunch afterwards. And I, I listened to a bunch of the, the women in the office talking about, oh, well, the eager beavers are, you know, they're raising their hands at the end. I said, it's interesting, you could Russell conjugate that to go-getters and go-getter and eager beaver are, you know, a positive and a negative conjugation of the same concept. What if we just flip it cognitively a little bit and said, maybe the idea is that you had the most interesting question, we all needed to hear it, but you sat on it because you didn't want to be an eager beaver. That was very interesting for me because it was clear to me that there was a female dynamic in this group that was selecting for different behavior. Maybe it was gonna select for more regularity, maybe it was gonna select in general for cohesion, but it wasn't going to select as much for an outlying behavior. And so the question of are men holding back, are men holding women back at work? To some extent. Are women holding other women back at work? Yes, also yeah. to some extent. Then there's this question of, is, it, is there gonna be a one-time cost for really integrating the workforce where previously all male fields, when they break into more even distributions, maybe it's not going to be that tough to enter in and to find some new idiom that women won't have to be behaving in a male idiom. I don't know about any of these things per se. What I do know is, is that we're all scared to be talking about this because we need to not have this immediately go personal And this is one of the things that I think is destroying our ability to have conversations. You have to talk at some level of abstraction to create safety Mm -hmm. rather than say, well, Jim, you just ignored me two meetings ago. And then suddenly, you know, that's all that's going to be heard or talked about for 30 minutes. And it's going to leave everybody feeling just incapable of actually talking. Well, this is
1: why I love your advice of put, your truth out there move from caterpillar mm-hmm. to butterfly because anyone who does that understands that there are going to be people who dislike you. And too many of us are the ones to hit the dislike and leave the negative comment. Johnny and I laugh, you know, we listen to a lot of content that stinks. Yeah. I'm not I, in there hammering in the I, comments and so saying what's wrong with you. Why are you on your phone? <laughs> I just tune in to the next episode or go find something else. Well, look, but When you put yourself out there in a position to actually get the arrows, you are less likely to be slinging arrows. It's it's Building that thicker skin, I think, would help everyone because Mm -hmm. this thin skin is creating an environment where we can't have conversations like this. Three guys trying to talk about workplace dynamics where we're interacting with women, we're trying to elevate them. Uh, There's going to be a significant contingent of people who are going to say, you're wrong, I'm wrong, Johnny's wrong. Oh, I'm sure the letters will come. Yeah, But it's coming from people who haven't put themselves out there to develop a thicker skin and not personalize this conversation. This conversation doesn't have to be about you and that one time out at drinks where someone clumsily made a move on you. This could be us trying to grapple with dynamics that, listen, are pressing and we don't have the answers to.
0: Yeah, I think it's also the case that we need to say why we're having these conversations. I mean, I'm very clear on what matters to me here, which is that I watch people walk away from contributions because they don't like dynamics. And if you imagine that 50% of the world's best minds are on female shoulders, how many women are walking away from their special voice, their contributions? Mm -hmm. You know, I think about this one woman who stood up to the pharmaceutical industry and said, I don't think thalidomide is as safe as you guys are claiming it is. It's not going to be approved until you actually can show me the data. We did not have the problem with flipper babies that Europe did because this particular tough lady, you know, took it on herself to stand in front of a juggernaut and said, not on my watch. Okay, well, we, have, we males have an interest like a selfish interest. If we want to live in a world with better medicine, better inventions, better democracy, of solving these problems, it's not all about some sort of public spirited, oh, well, what can we do for the women? I mean, I'm just not interested in it. I'm more, much more interested in this out of greed that we are just giving away almost half of humanity by not solving this problem. And it's not public spirited in the slightest. I think we need to also be more honest and open about what our motivations are. I've just watched a couple of women not push brilliant discoveries through because it was too unpleasant. And that that's what really animates me. It's much less, you know, fairness and niceness. It's much more, this is just a massive loss. We appreciate you for coming on and having this conversation with
1: us and our audience. And Certainly. obviously we know that's what you're doing at The Portal. So can you give our audience a place to check out more? Uh, obviously, the portal is a great spot to start your new podcast on the Cast Network I here. I
0: appreciate that. Look for the portal at Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel you should be able to find. And on Twitter, where I probably have my largest following, I'm Eric R. Weinstein. Awesome. Thank uh-huh. you so much for Guys, really us. appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Again, we
2: loved having Eric Weinstein on the show. You know, since he's got his show with the Cast Network, he's around the offices a lot more, so perhaps we'll have him on again. If you love what you're hearing, head on over to iTunes, find our show, rate us, and write us a review. We love the feedback and it really helps new listeners find the show. Happy Labor Day.
0: Yeah, I remember you.